both hands today, guys, right here. Um, that does sound a little better. Thank you. Um, Jesus put the definition of leadership on its head when he says, whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as a son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's leaders for the church. God has his definition. He has set out his agenda, and he wants to accomplish it through the church and mediating through individuals. You know, in the past, this is not new to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God mediated his rule through prophets, through priests, through kings. And now he's mediating his rule through godly men, our elders, our pastors. And that's what we want to talk about uh, today. So, you know, today's lesson is a simple outline. Duties of our pastors and duties to our pastors. You know, we'll look at the pastoral function itself and try to understand that. What's expected of a shepherd? What's expected of a pastor? And once we kind of lay that framework and that foundation, what we want to do is and then say, okay, well, what's expected of me knowing the role of this leader in the church? Duties to our pastors. Let's look at a passage of Scripture here. I just got it up on the screen, or you're welcome to turn there in your Bibles at First Peter chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 4, and it says this, So I exhort the elders among you, Peter speaking to the leaders of the church, listen carefully, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful game, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, he will receive the unfading crown of glory. If I could just highlight three primary words here, phrases that you see. You see three here that all address leaders in the church and they all identify the same individuals, elder, shepherd, and exercising oversight or overseer. Okay, now hang with me here. This is important. Here God's describing these influential leaders that we need to be aware of. And he starts with the word elder. Elder, that's the primary title that God gives to leaders who have authority in local churches. Elder, elders, you just see the plural there. It's a plural thing. There's elders, a plurality of leaders. They preside over the Christian assemblies. And there, the word actually means to rule. They rule in the church. We're not talking about a business committee here. We're not just talking about a board that makes, uh, you know, uh, like a board of directors or officers that just kind of do paperwork. We're talking about God's leaders for the church. You also see shepherd, the word shepherd. And this refers to pastors or shepherds, right? We see the analogy, don't we? We understand the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. And here, this word for these leaders describes the pastoring, shepherding role to guide, care for, and look after. And we'll talk about 
more about the shepherding role in a moment. And then you see exercising oversight. Many times in Scripture you see the title overseer. That's an elder. That's a pastor. The three titles describe the same person or individuals that lead the church. In fact, the word for overseer you could also call bishop. Now, bishop is one of those identifiers for a leader that's just unfortunately misused in Christianity today. Because it's a very, in a hierarchy of some denominations, you have a bishop that's in charge of a number of churches or a certain jurisdiction. Not in scripture. The overseer, the bishop, is the elder who's the pastor. In fact, you, it'd be very appropriate. You could go to Pastor Farrell today and say, I love you, elder. You know? It'd be kind of funny. Hi, Pastor Farrell. I love you, Elder. <laughs> right? Kind of throw it all out there. You're the best overseer. Thank you. <laughs> Just lay it all out there, right? You could go to Pastor Brody and say, Bishop Brody, I love you, brother. Uh, you know, pa- Pastor Brody, he's got a, a nickname, PB, for Pastor Brody. And he'd be BB, right? Hey, BB, I love you. Thank you for being my, my loving bishop who manages and cares for me and exercises oversight. It'd be very appropriate to do that. Now, he might not like that to be called a bishop because, because again, the connotations uh, with that in our in our culture. But pastor, elder, bishop, they all describe the same leader. Okay. So what we want to look at here are several things that talk about and describe the duties of a pastor, of a shepherd. And I want you to notice there in in verse four. It says, when the chief shepherd appears. So as Peter is giving this charge to the elders, the pastors, the bishops, those same people, he's reminding them who really is the leader of the church. And this is significant. We have to, we have to keep that in mind when we talk about human authorities and human leaders that Jesus is Lord of the church. He's the chief cornerstone, and he's the one who has chosen to mediate his rule during this age through these leaders. So make no mistake about it. As we submit to an elder, our ultimate submission really is to God. It's to him. He is the chief shepherd. So, duties of our pastors. Let's look at three of them. First, protect the flock. We're going to look at the shepherd sheep analogy that scripture uses so well and start by using that because I think it just really summarizes the role of a pastor, of an elder, of a bishop so well. Protect, protecting the flock, protecting the sheep. In Acts chapter 20, you can turn there if you want. I'll just read a few verses from Acts 20, 28 through 31. This is where Paul is saying farewell to the elders in Ephesus. And you might remember it's a very emotional time and they're, Paul is leaving them. He tells them he may never see them again. And he gives them certain charges. He gives them instructions. Here's what's important, guys. They weren't going to get a text later from, from Paul. They, 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 they weren't going to, uh, you know, get an email from him. Uh, you know, next week to remind them again, this, hey guys, listen, this is important. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, elders, watchers, right? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Shepherds are charged with protecting the sheep. You know, you don't have to spend long on YouTube to see there's a lot of stuff out there, don't you? I mean, if you want to Google like, hey, what's an interesting Bible message? You'll get a little of everything, right? The good, the bad, the ugly. How do you discern? How do you know what's right and what's wrong? And, you know, false teachers are not typically in like a little red suit with a tail and two pointy ears, right? Here I am. False teachers, as it says here, will actually rise up from within flock in, in, in an attempt by Satan as a, to use them as a pawn to draw you away from Christ. Why do pastors keep teaching? Because of these kind of charges, right? They need to warn us. They need to prepare us. They need to help us discern. They need to divide the word of truth that we would not be devoured by wolves that are often in sheep's clothing. Sheep are in danger without a shepherd. So God here clearly, he clearly communicates the absolute necessity that we're toast, that we're, we're closely knitted with a shepherd. I'm encouraged you guys are here this morning. Now pastor, our, pastor Clay, our, our, our shepherd, he's not here today, but you're, you're here because there's something you've likely realized. I can't do this myself. I need the body. I need God's leaders. And this scripture says not only about the duties of a pastor to protect us, but it talks about us getting under their ministry that we can get that protection. The closer you get to that, that shepherd, right? When you're out in the field somewhere, you're, you're easy pickings for the, for the wolf, right? But man, when you draw yourself close, that staff's right there to whack that wolf right over the head. And that's where you want to be. What an encouragement you're here today to hear the word and from our leaders. Um, why don't we just jump over here to the second duty of our pastors, feeding the flock. Feeding the flock. A good and caring shepherd takes the sheep to pasture and to water. Without these nutrients, without having something to sustain them, they'll, they'll perish. When Paul addressed the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, as we had just read, he says this in verse 20 as he's speaking to them. I did not shrink from declaring you, sorry, I'll start over. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. He taught the whole counsel of God. And his conscience was clear, wasn't it? He could leave there knowing he told them and instructed them what God had to say. Ephesians 4, that you're familiar with, talks about this function of pastoring, of shepherding, of feeding, where it says he gave some apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and then here we have the shepherds and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So you have the, the prophets and the apostles. They've laid the foundation of the church. Christ is the cornerstone. Prophets and apostles have laid the foundation. That ministry has been completed. And what do you have in this age now? You have pastors and teachers that equip the body of Christ with the word of God to build you up, to equip you. Why do we spend time teaching? Why is there so much time on the word? Why, when we go to the service, there'll be a scripture reading and we'll choose songs that are scriptural in context, context and that, and then Pastor Farrell's message will be more than ten and a half minutes long. It's because the scriptures say we need to be fed. We need feeding. We need the word. It's how we grow. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, when I was your age, uh, we didn't have a lot of electronic media. Um, we didn't have any. And, uh, we, uh, when, when I got, when I got saved, I wanted some, I wanted to learn the word, so I wanted some Christian tools and things. And I just had a Bible with some red letters in it. And I'm like, I need, I need something more. And I remember when I got my first concordance, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I don't know if you know what a concordance is or not, but you can look up things, right? And it's like this big, heavy book, like one of you, like you med students, right? It's one of like one of those big books. And, I was so excited. My first commentary was a Matthew Henry commentary. And uh, I still have those on my shelf. I don't use them anymore uh, because I can get all that stuff online now. Or I can get it on an app. I get it off my phone. I get it off my iPad. I get it on the, on the Internet. And there's so much good stuff. I hope you're taking advantage of that. You're getting good stuff and you're, you're learning from other people about what some good tools are and how I can learn the Word and, and where I can find out some more things about what God's Word, God's word has to say. But guys, let's make this, let's make this clear. Let's make this understood. You know, God didn't design Christianity as an online course where I take the classes off campus and get my so-called credits. Yes, you can learn a lot off campus. You can learn a lot when you're not here off campus. But God's intention is to feed you through godly men to lead, to rule, to guide, to manage, to shepherd, to protect you. There's no replacement for the local church and God's people breathing truth into your life from the only place we have the life-giving words, God's word. Let's look at the third duty to our pastors. We're protecting the flock. We're feeding the flock. We're going to lead the flock. I was trying to get a way to get these all to rhyme together, but I just, the only thing I think of was for protect was to bleed. Okay, we'll bleed for the flock. We'll feed the flock. We'll lead the flock. Okay. But leadership, leadership. First Timothy five, verse 17 says this, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Ruling well. An elder is to rule, to be the primary leader of a local fellowship. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Look over there. 1 Timothy chapter 3. What we're going to see here are the qualifications of an elder. You might see the word overseer in there because, again, we're talking about the same individual, the leader who rules and has oversight over the local church. But 1 Timothy chapter 3 
And you'll see there in verses 1 through 7 the qualifications of an elder. This is what God says you must have. In fact, if you read there in verse 1, the saying is is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be the office of an overseer, an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be. And you see the list. I'll show you the list up in front right here. If you want to look on the screen or you can look at your Bible there. But it's quite a list, isn't it? Wow, these are the qualifications of God's leaders. If you're going to make the fortune list of pastor qualifications and those who qualify to lead and guide and shepherd a local church, they would look for guys that do this. This is it. They manage their home well. Children are dismissive. They control their passions. They're not violent. They're gentle. They're not a recent convert. They're not controlled by money. They're not controlled by substances. They're respectable, hospitable, sober. If you were to take all that and put that in in an umbrella character trait, it's above reproach. Being above reproach. That's the first trait you see there. You also see it in Titus. The same, a very similar list. But an elder, a pastor needs to be above reproach. Reproach. What does that mean? I thought this author had a good answer for that question. Above reproach. This requirement does not call for perfection, but for godliness. To be above reproach means to be free from any blemishes of character or conduct. His relationship with his wife and children is commendable, and morally he has no glaring weaknesses. Outsiders cannot point their finger and discredit his profession to be a follower of Christ. When we talk about leadership, this is the kind of person I want to follow. What about you? Right? You know, all these character traits, we'll look back there again. The, the, these, these character traits, these are something really required of all of us, but something that must be integrated specifically in the life of the elder, to qualify them. And that's the kind of guy I want to follow. These are, you, know, you don't see a lot of doing things here, do you? You must do this, you must do that. It's who you are. These are character traits. And when someone has the right character, what? The right actions follow, right? That's who I want to follow. That's who I want to be my leader. We're so blessed in this fellowship with elders, with pastors that take these requirements seriously. Um, perhaps you've been in churches before where that's not been taken very seriously and it's hurt the body and the body has struggled because of leadership that is not godly or follows these qualifications. Wow, when I see the list of qualifications there, it reminds me, man, keep praying for Clay. Keep praying for Pastor Brian and and, and, and Pastor Stephen and, and, and Pastor Brody and, and Matt and, and, and Jeff and all those on our uh, pastoral team, that they would be leaders in their character and in their conduct and give us examples to follow. So those are the duties of pastors in summary, high level. But now let's look at it, duties to our pastors. What's our Responsibility. Now, 
This one's going to hit you between the eyes a little bit today, okay? I hope it does, because it does me. When you go to Hebrews, there's some pretty clear statements that just don't fit in very well with our culture. And that's a good thing. I'd rather just hear what the Word has to say and not just go with the flow. And I'm going to summarize what we're going to be looking at here in one statement here to kind of crystallize it for you, okay? This is, this is our, what we're going to look at in a word. I must subdue my desire for personal autonomy in order to obey and submit to my church leaders because of their God-given responsibilities and for my personal good. I must obey and submit to them. Wow. That is between the eyes a little bit. Rich, you weren't kidding. And it's great to go to the Word of God because I, I wouldn't write this. That's not something I would say, oh, I could hardly wait. Obey and submit. I want to do that. Uh, we need to hear that. We need a word from God, don't we? And this is what God says our instructions are. We'll see that here in the Scripture. So turn to Hebrews 13, the primary text we're going to look at the, in the few minutes we have left. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's not a big surprise, right? After we just read our summary statement. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. The first thing we see here about duties to our pastors is to obey and submit to them. This obey is speaking of our actions, going along with directions or commands. Submit that they put with here is very interesting and very important. It's talking about not resisting any longer or to give way or yield. This submission speaks about one's attitude of compliance, to surrender one's attitude to authority. In other words, submission recognizes God-ordained authority in the church and then submits to it in obedience. You know as well as I do when we've been told one thing or another that our parents would like us to do, that it's one thing to obey and it's another thing to feel like obeying or just having the right attitude. Isn't that right? And that's true here. I thought uh, Stephen Cole Put it well. You can obey outwardly while seething with anger on the inside, but you aren't submitting. Submission implies a sweet spirit of cooperation that stems from trust. You trust that the leaders have your best interests at heart, and so you go along with them. Trusting your God-ordained leaders. Trusting. I don't think it'll be a surprise when I say in much of our culture today, it's difficult to trust certain leaders, isn't it? They say one thing, they do another. They say one thing, you know they don't mean it. And we get quite cynical about leadership. And that cynicism, unfortunately, carries over to church leaders that we're to submit to. And that's to have no place in the church if we're going to be God-honoring in our relationship to God and to the leaders God's given to us. We must do battle 
with these sinful attitudes that wants to undermine or question or thwart the intentions or the directions of our leaders. Obedience and submission, what does it look like? Well, let me start with telling you what it's not like. What does it mean to obey and submit to your leaders? Am I a robot that's in, you know, kind of cruise control and wherever they step right, I got to step right. When they step left, I got to step left. And I'm, it is not being a man follower or a people pleaser, okay? They are not put in place of following Christ. We're not to blindly follow our leaders without ever a question. Remember those in Thessalonica were, were noble. What did they do? They searched the scriptures, right? We should. There's a, there's a healthy amount of accountability we can give to those who teach the word of God. It's not that there's never a question. It's how you question, right? Pastors are not to rule over your personal affairs. You know, they're not going to... The pastor's not to tell you where to live, what car to drive, what career you should choose, and where you should get your job, Right? Pastors have care over our souls, not your bank accounts. Now, they can give us scriptural principles on how to make those decisions, but they're not directing all the personal affairs of your life. That's not what it means to obey or submit. It also means that pastors or elders are not to rule as tyrants or dictators, right? The spirit in which they lead is important. What does it mean to obey and submit to pastors? Probably the biggest thing in obedience and submission to them is obeying the clear teaching of the Word of God. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's the main thing. If we get that thing today, guys, they're, 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 they're the mouthpiece of God speaking from the truth that God's given to us for your good, for your edification, to equip you, to warn you, to feed you, all the things we talked about a shepherd does. And the most important thing you can do is obey and submit to the clear teaching of the Word of God. The other thing would be in secondary matters. In secondary, when a a pastor or an elder gives directions or oversight on how to accomplish or do things in the church, someone's got to give directions, and that responsibility falls on the overseers. What kind of music are you going to play? What style are you going to play that music? And there's a lot of ways to play How Great Thou Art, right? You can sing old school, you know, with a piano and organ. Uh, you can have uh, all the instruments out and play a more progressive way. Uh, you can sing it a cappella. You can sing it with a hymnal, without. Somebody's got to make these decisions. I chose music. That's not a controversial topic, is it? I mean, uh, why did I choose that? Why? Because we all have preferences, right? This is the way it should be done. No, this is the way. My, and it's funny when we have preferences like that because I don't know why it is, but my preference is always the right one. Me, Rich, right? I mean, and you guys, you know, get with the program. Uh, don't we all feel that way? My, my mind's the right way. This is the way we should do music. My, my favorite hymn is Amazing Grace. We'd sing that every week if I was in charge of the service. So I mean, it would get rather old. I hope that never gets old, but that wouldn't be a good thing, right? If I was in charge, it would be Amazing Grace every... Uh, you know, we can get so bent out of shape and not submit because I didn't get my music. It's a very emotional thing for many of us, right? And you can imagine all the different opinions in a church body like we have, as big as it is, when we meet a little bit later. But someone has to set, hey, this is what we're going to do. 
how do I, how do I take care of I'm not hearing the music I would like to hear or how it's played? It's right here. It's obedience and submission. Someone makes the call, whether the overseers choose themselves or they delegate that, but they oversee the service. How do I reconcile that? I obey and submit. This is God's plan for me, not my music, but what my leaders have chosen to do. My response has to be, i got to do everything I can to change the music in this church. That's not the response. It's how do I follow in a godly way with the way my shepherds have chosen to conduct the service. If you've been challenged by that, hey, welcome to the club. We're not told to obey and submit because it's easy. But this is the godly thing to do. John Piper said it well. Culturally, the defining spirit in America Day is self-determination, not submission to the will of another. The ultimate value in America is the unencumbered self. Anything that enhances my individual liberty to do as I please is good. And anything that encumbers me and limits my ability to do as I please is bad. Self is king. And autonomy is the highest law. That makes this text, excuse me, that makes this text culturally outrageous. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Christine, could you give me a cup of water? Thank you. Piper says it well. All right. And uh, if you want to get that later, um, I can go back to that slide if you're, if you're taking notes there. Okay. But the duties of our pastors, obeying and submitting to them. And then secondly, thing we see here is let them serve with joy. Go back to your text there in Hebrews 13, 17. Let them serve with joy. And you see there in the second half of that verse, let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Let them lead with joy. This is an amazing truth. And you see it closely tied to obedience and submission. If you want to be an influencer in your pastor's life, you do it through obedience and submission. Thank you. Ooh, I got a whole bottle and it's cold. This is an amazing truth. You have a part to play in the effectiveness of your pastor's ministry. Look what it says there. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Okay, I mean, God, God just puts it, it's just a dichotomy here, right? Joy or groaning. Where am I? What am I doing? What am I feeding today? What am I communicating to my pastor? How am I intentional in trying to ensure that my pastor enjoys the work of the ministry and I'm just not making something miserable for him? It's important because God put it here. Joy. Joy. It says here, to have them groan over their work, that would be no advantage to you. It's that old boomerang, right? You kind of throw the boomerang hoping to kind of inflict a wound, and what does it do? The boomerangs I always threw never came back, right? I always bought those in the store, those little cheapy plastic ones. Whew, and I always be running 100 yards to get it, right? It never come back. But a boomerang, a real boomerang, comes back, what does it do? It hits you right in the head. And while we shoot ourselves in the foot, so this would be no advantage of you if you're not seeking the joy of your pastor. How do we bring joy? Third John 4 said it well, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. 
You know, Christy and I, by God's grace, raised three children. And when we look at our lives, the greatest joys we have from them is when they walk in truth. We know they're not perfect. We know they have their struggles. We counsel them through those. That's part of life. But when they walk in truth, when I see my son leading a Bible study, or I see my daughter just working well for Christ in the hospital, or raising her children for the Lord, I see my my oldest son working for a judge in, in North uh, West Ohio and, and, and just being a Christian influence and a, and a Christian leader in his home. That's all I need. It's joy. It's, it's, it's fuel. It's encouragement. It's, it's victory. You want to bring joy to your pastor. It's not being perfect, right? And you have issues. Clay wants to know them. Your pastors want to know them. They want to shepherd you. You want to bring joy? Listen to the word. Follow, walk in truth. Now, there's other practical ways you can bring joy to your pastor. Man, send an email, shoot a text, go in the hall. Hey, Bishop Brody, love you, man. Uh, you, may, you meant so much to me. When you give those announcements every morning and how you, how you, how you organize our office, I, I don't know how it all works out, but I know you're in the middle of it. Thank you. Our pastor is available after the services. You ever go on to Pastor Farrell and say, hey, I'm Joe. I'm Mary. I just want to say I love you. Thank you for just telling us what the word has to say. And not just a bunch of stories or, or just your own attitudes or, or feelings about things, but just telling us what God has to say. Bring them joy, not grief. And finally, let's kind of go over here. Watch and imitate. Go to Hebrews 13.7 as we close. As you're there in Hebrews 13, and look at this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, and consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Remember. Consider. This is what it's saying here, guys. You need to be watching Clay's life. You need to be watching our other elders or pastors' lives, right? Keep a watch. You're to be a pastor stalker, Okay. Follow around late at night. What's Clay doing now? What will he do this morning? Will he stop to get caught? No, don't go that far. Words, so what does it say here? Remember them. Consider them. They're not just kind of a guy filling up space up here. Okay, I'm going to kind of read you the announcements. I'm going to you know, tell you what God has to say. And then you kind of go, oh, wait, wait. Remember them. Consider them. Imitate them. I'll never forget significant things pastors have done in my life before. I remember a pastor in Ohio serving on a deacon board, and the pastor called me the next day after the deacon meeting, the senior pastor. He said, Rich, I I want to tell you I, I want your forgiveness. I'm asking for forgiveness today. I said, what for? And then he said, well, in the meeting last night, I said some things and I felt some things that weren't right. And I just want to let you know. It's not right. I want your forgiveness. And that blew me away. I'm like, I didn't even know you you did that. I probably was offending him more than he was offending me, okay? If the truth be known, who knows what I was saying. Uh, I, you kind of think back at those things. And, and he had the humility and the grace, the kindness to say, I want to get things right with you, and I want your forgiveness. My senior pastor coming to me 
that just left an indelible memory to me. It's instructive to me what to do when I offend somebody. You can't, you can't get these associations. You can't get those kind of meaningful moments in life unless you draw yourself close to that shepherd. You understand what I'm saying? You know, we can't stay too far away. Now, it's tough for you guys. You're in college. You're, it's a whole different life and a culture, and it seems like another world out there at Liberty. The challenge and the things we are trying to equip you to understand is try with God's help, to integrate the local church into your life and into your day-to-day living and to the point where you get to know this shepherd, Clay, and you get to know our pastors. Four years outside the shepherding ministry of pastors is not God's plan for you while you're here. It's just not. You have to get close. You have to get to know them in some kind of way. So greet yourself. Introduce yourself to Clay if you've not met him yet. Get to know him a little better. Clay loves to go out and do things, uh, going out for a cup of coffee or whatever. If he needs to meet you for counseling and you're a girl, then he'll have another lady with him to kind of help with that kind of thing. Uh, but get to know your pastor. Imitate their walk. And here we see our duties. Obey and submit. Let them serve with joy. Watch and imitate. Hey, may God use us to have a great relationship with our pastors here at Timberlake. To the glory of God and to his praise. All right.